Welcome to Feed Your Health, a weekly podcast with your host, Morgan Shepard, where we'll be taking a deep dive into the big dial movers of health, focusing on movement, nutrition, and stress management. You'll get tangible takeaways, tactical knowledge, and exclusive stories to inspire and empower you on your transformational health journey. Let's get thriving. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we are going to be talking with our special guest, Irina Makare, who is certified in sleep, stress management, and recovery coaching from Precision Nutrition. I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today because she's my first guest. Oh my God. Thank you, Morgan, so much. I'm so honored to be on your podcast and to be your first guest. Yay! I'm excited as well. Also, we're hella nervous, so just, you know, (laughs) bear with us. So you focus on helping people who have a desk job improve their sleep, manage stress, and get healthier and have more energy. Tell me a little bit about your story and how you got into this. So my story, it's a little bit long, so I'll try to make it short. It started around 2012, 2013. I was skinny my entire childhood and then teenage years. But once I got a job earning more money, and the irony here is that in Romania, most of, so for your audience, like I'm from Romania originally, most of our food is what we call now organic. And the fast food is more expensive. Once I start earning more money I was able to buy like pizza shawarma and stuff like that so without noticing I start gaining a lot of weight the interesting part is that you look in the mirror and you don't realize how your body changes I remember one summer I had a holiday a vacation and I saw the pictures with myself and I didn't recognize myself so that was The time when I first started my first diet, because I was young, I was able to lose those kilos because we were talking about kilos in Europe. naturally. Um, And like in six months, I lost like almost 10 kilos and uh, I was young and I was able to sustain that. But that diet intrigued me. So I started reading more about nutrition I was very attracted by this space. The more I was reading, the more I was attracted about that. And it was more about dieting. It was more about like healing my gut and learning about how to eat healthy. Fast forward, I moved to Ireland and that was... It was so amazing. It was like so exciting to live in another country. But then like I got a job on a company full-time working, but they were contracting us to clients. It was pretty demanding because I was doing my nine to five hours at the client, which was like crazy and very stressful. And then I was uh, in the evening, I was going to the office of my mother company. So I was spending a lot of time at work. I'm very goal motivated. I was doing a lot of stuff beside my work. Soon I was burned out. At some point we had a project and I worked for 21 days in a row without a break. weekends because we had to meet a deadline yeah I was compensated with money for that but (laughs) that doesn't count you're still dying (laughs) I was completely physically and mentally exhausted but the good thing was that uh, after three and a half years of living in Ireland we decided to move to US here (gasps) so it was just at the point where like my burnout was just at the point where we decided to move so I moved to US and then I had like almost half a year of time when I was waiting for my paperwork to be... Welcome to America. Yes, which was great because I had the time to be able to recover. So the first few months, that was the time when I would encounter meditation. Like I always presented with meditation. So I start meditating and I was like... Good, because I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. I had this time and I was able to recover myself pretty fast from the burnout. Fast forward again, I got a job on a big IT company and I was so excited about that. Like working with those technologies to be in that environment was absolutely amazing. It was like my dream job. But the pace here in the US is very fast. Yeah. The demands are even like, and we have an internal joke is the, the reward for great work is more work. So the more I was delivering, the more it was expecting from me to, yeah. to deliver more. I don't consider myself a A-type, 
But whenever I commit to something, I like to give my best. Yeah. So four years into this job, plus one promotion, I found myself on it with another burnout. And the effects of that is bad sleep, anxiety, depression, a lot of stress-related issues. So my focus right now, so the sleep problems, they started happening since I was in Ireland, like even before, but they were not as severe. Nowadays, because like I'm older, my body cannot support the pace that I'm used to run on. I'm not that old, but I'm not that young anymore. So my body starts complaining about it. And like every night I wake up in the middle of the night and it takes two to three hours to be able to fall asleep. So my focus now changed from nutrition to more like, how can I improve my sleep? And while I was looking for that, I realized that sleep has so many factors that like you can work with that. And one of the biggest factors is stress. So that I start looking more on how can I manage my stress. So I look into meditation. I looked into energy management, efficiency, time management, productivity, because all of this, like if I am able to manage my stress and my time over the day I have I'm more relaxed over the night and when I go to bed I feel more relaxed with that being said it's not something that I did one thing and that fixed my sleep even with weight loss like you get to a point where you're happy but then you have to maintain that with sleep is the same it's an ongoing process like even if you get your best sleep one night does not mean that you drop everything you do and you'll get constantly better sleep and you have to like experiment and like figure out what works for you try different things absolutely and the thing is like this is how i got into sleep and stress management even when i was in ireland and i was passionate about nutrition i was like so passionate about it that i was experimenting with myself and i was talking at work and people around me start hearing me and start implementing things that i was saying and then they were coming back to me and said Oh, Irina, I've heard you saying that and I've tried to do it and it worked. I feel so much better. Or like they had a problem and they were coming to me. Look, I have this problem. What do you think? And that gave me a feeling like that I cannot express and I've never felt in other. Oh, it's great. Yeah. So I was like, dude, I've learned so many things. I've experimenting and I have all this knowledge. The fact that I'm when I'm helping people, it gives me so much satisfaction. It's so I have to like I feel like I have to do this. It's like my duty to help other people to feel like and they don't need to wait for 10, 15 years that it took me to learn all these tools. Like I want them to be able to fix themselves faster. That's exactly how I feel about my journey. Like it took me 10 years to get where I am now, but like when you work with a coach you got to be able to do it way faster than that. And the other thing is like, I'm very savvy with science. I love reading the science, but a lot of people don't. And they don't want to, like, I can point them to books and the podcast that I listen, but they will not enjoy doing that. So I like to hear the science and then like to digest it and to present them in a way that it's easier for people who are not as passionate as I am. To, to consume it and to apply it in their day-to-day life. I love that. I see a lot of that in your posting and like just how you talk about things, breaking it down into things that we can understand for like the general public. Yeah, and my the way my brain works and my philosophy is that even if I give you the tools, even if I give you the structure, if you don't understand how things work, If you find yourself in a situation that you cannot apply your tool, if you don't understand the mechanism behind it, then you will not be able to adapt to apply those. So my philosophy and what I'm trying is like, yeah, I do digest the, the science and make it more easy for you to understand, but I want you to understand why you need to do something. So for example, when I'm reading like nutrition books, this is the list of ingredients that have this benefit. By the time I was reaching to the middle of the list, I was forgetting the items at the beginning of the list. But if I tell you why you should not eat in the evening and I tell you what's happening in your body in a like not a scientific way, but I'll I'll tell you like this is why I recommend this. It will be easier for you to implement it, right? 
Because you and, buy into it. You yeah. understand it, so you believe it. Yeah. And then, you know. So happen. if you find yourself at 10 p.m. starving, if I tell you not to eat one hour before bed, if your blood sugar is too low, your cortisol will spike, you will be able to choose a healthy, slow carb that yeah. could help you fall asleep that will not affect your digestion and your sleep, right? So totally. I know people want like a fast and simple way to implement things. And I try to incorporate that in my teaching and my frameworks, but I want you to understand how things work and to do whatever is best for you. So I love that you talk about that because sleep is one of the biggest things in like my method. So my signature coaching system, which is the feed method, we sort of break down food, movement, and then your environment and how you sort of elevate the systems and routines that are in your life to support your weight loss goals or whatever else. And sleep is one of the biggest things that if you're not sleeping, none of the other things are going to work. So tell me about why sleep is so important. Well, one of my favorite books ever, and if I can recommend this to love your books. audience, is like Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. I'll put it in the show notes because I could do that now on a podcast. What? Awesome. Awesome. And I highly like if you're interested in sleep, I highly recommend Matthew Walker. He's a scientist who is actually studying sleep. It's not like when you cite uh, studies about sleep, actually, he's the guy who's doing those studies. So he knows what he talks. In the middle of the book, after he describes sleep, he has like the benefits of sleep. And he is starting his chapter with like, Scientists have discovered a revolutionary new treatment that makes you live longer, enhance your memory, makes you more creative, makes you more attractive, lowers the cravings, protects you from cancer and dementia, protects you from colds and flu, you are less depressed and less anxious, and on top of that, it's free. If you would read that, and if I tell you that this is like what sleep does for you, you'll be, ugh that's less sexy. But the benefits of sleep is amazing. Another point is like, why do we need to sleep? Because a lot of people are like, well, I sleep when I'll die, right? right? If you think from an evolutionary perspective, we are very vulnerable when we sleep. We don't mate. We don't look for food. We're vulnerable for predators. So if the sleep would not be important, if you look at all the species in the world, like they all they sleep, Mother Nature would have done a big mistake allowing sleep. So sleep has to play a big role in our health and our evolution. I never thought about it from that perspective, but that's totally true. And on top of that, because we are going to talk about later about the types of sleep and the stages of sleep. A lot of people are talking, oh, I want more deep sleep or I want REM sleep. No, all the parts of sleep are as important. If you would not need REM sleep or if you are not need deep sleep, like mother nature will curve it out yeah when we sleep your body cleans itself so our brain if you know about the blood brain barrier like there are a lot of things that cannot go into our brain because like protects ourselves if you think about it like how does the brain clear itself from the metabolic garbage is like there is a system which is called the lymphatic system Mm -hmm. so during the sleep in the non-REM sleep the cells they are shrinking 60 percent of their volume so the spinal fluid goes into your brain and it clears the debris this is how you get rested and like a brain cleans itself of all the waste I love science. Oh, this is so cool. Right. So that's one of the purposes of sleep. The other is like creating long-term memory and emotional regulation. Oh, and for your audience, during the sleep is when your hormones for hunger, the ghrelin and leptin, they are regulated. So if you have a night of bad sleep, you will be Beside you be cranky, anxious, and depressed. You'll be more hungry and you will... I did hear that. Yes, yes. yes. Your brain thinks that it needs more calorie to sustain you when you are not asleep. So it will make you go for more food. So I think in general, we get more like two to 300 calories after like a four hour of sleep deprived. 
So in general, we consume that amount of calories more. If you want to lose weight, sleep is one of the best and simplest method to help you lose weight. So you're saying we should just go sleep more and we're going to lose weight. Well, and we can discuss more <laughs> about quite. that, about sleep. It's not necessarily about duration. There are multiple things about sleep. It's duration, quality, how fragmented it is, the time of the day when you're sleeping, which yeah. matters as well. Because look at the sleep uh, like a shift worker. They even if they get their eight hours of sleep during the day, they're still wrecked. Oh, that was me when I was working in food service and I worked the night shift. I would sleep during the day, but like I could never feel fully energized. Yeah, because you are not in sync with your circadian rhythm. Yeah. Cool. Well, so like, how do I how do I get better sleep? Better, better quality. I don't know. More yeah. sleep. Yeah. Okay. Matthew Walker, again, defines four pillars of sleep. Tell me. So it's quality, quantity, uh, the depth. There is one more, which I forget. But like, for example, you want to have like the time, like at least seven to nine hours a day. If you're staying in bed for nine hours, but your total number of sleep time is eight hours because you woke up like multiple times, you will not feel as refreshed even if you got your numbers. So we yeah. also aim for quantity, but also for quality. Yeah. And then like you also want like the depth, like the brain waves, but like I'm not going to go too, too much in the details of that. We talk a lot about like REM sleep and light sleep and deep sleep. And I know that I have a device, I have a Garmin and it like tracks my sleep. But honestly, I don't know what I'm looking at and I don't know... Yeah. What is more important? You know, how much should we getting of each one? That's a good question. When I am teaching about sleep tracking, first of all, I'm asking you, why do you want to track your sleep? I don't know. But should I? I don't know. Is it so, important? Like, if you have a metric, if you don't know how to use that metric, like, how do you know if you improve? In general, people who want to track their sleep, they usually tend to have some sleep problems. This depends on the problem. Like, there are some people who are having problems falling asleep. And then there are some people who are having problems staying asleep. Or there are some people who are, even if they are sleeping, they are not feeling rested. So depending on what is your problem and what, and that's why I'm like, I'm encouraging people to know what's their problem instead of focusing on a hundred things at the same time, like find what's the problem you're trying to fix, try some things and then see how that metric improves. Because first of all, I want to say that the, the sleep trackers that we're using, they're not as precise. They're like 60 to 65% For sure. precise. In laboratories, the sleep scientists, they're using a device that hooks to your skull and yeah. it basically measures your brain waves. Beside other things, like they're checking like your heart rate, your pulse, oxygen in your blood. They're measuring multiple things, but on top of that, they're measuring your brain waves. And the brain waves is the waves that your brain creates when they are creating electrical signals. So what you're saying is that it's very individualized and like you have to go into it with it's the same way with like weight loss. Why do you want to lose weight? And then figuring yeah. out what might be the thing that is preventing you from doing that. You know? Yeah. And like my point is also like when you are tracking something, first of all, you have to understand that the, the devices, they are not as accurate. Yeah. So my advice is not focus on the number itself, but focus on trends. And so, how you feel too. Yes. Yeah. On top of that, like I also advise to have like a sleep journal or a sleep diary okay, yeah. where like I advise like first thing in the morning when you wake up is like, how do I feel? How do I perceive my sleep is like from a scale to one to, to five. How do I think my sleep it is? How rested do I feel? Right. And then look at your tracker. So that you can have like your subjective data with the objective data from the tracker. You don't have to do the sleep diary, but it will give you more insight. Because like, the sleep diary, it's a lot of uh, manual work. and But I love that because like in my coaching, I teach something called appetite awareness. And it's yeah. the same sort of concept. Like you go into a meal being like, okay, what is my level of hunger? How am I feeling? And then have the meal and talk about after, okay, 
how do I feel now? Right. And what emotions am I feeling and that kind of thing. So like yeah. creating that awareness within all of these things, your food, your sleep, your movement. Yeah. And like uh, on my social media platform, I share almost daily my sleep numbers. I do have days when I was like, my sleep numbers are great or are awful, but I feel different. And I also encourage people not to let the numbers dictate the way I feel. you feel. That's why I'm saying yeah. like, do the journaling first and then look at the numbers because there are people who are like so focused on the numbers. It's like they wake up feeling refreshed and I feel good. And then they look at the the sleep tracking data is like oh you had a bad sleep and then they suddenly they feel worse i mean it's just like the same with a weight loss scale exactly like no you go by how you feel if your pants are fitting that kind of thing it's not right. always about a number yeah. and to go back to your original question what should i track so identify what your problem like for example if you are having problem falling asleep one metric that you should look for is like the sleep latency is basically when you go into bed so when you turn the light off until the time where your tracker detects that you are asleep so you you want to reduce that number so you start implementing a sleep hygiene you can like tweak with some things and see like if i do this then how is my number changing, uh, changing. Yeah. so it's like playing detective and what I also suggest, like, don't try to implement all the stuff at once because they, you, then you don't know what works. And we can talk about sleep hygiene. There are many things yeah. that you can do to improve your sleep. When you're tracking, like, the numbers that I'm, I'm looking at, because, like, my problem is staying asleep. And this is one metric that everybody can use, like, the efficiency in bed. How many hours you've been in bed and how effective your sleep, like, how, for how Are long? you scrolling Instagram at, like, 2 a.m. or are you actually sleeping? Oh, God, don't, don't start <laughs> me with that. <laughs> Sleep efficiency is like time in bed versus time asleep. Then I look for trends, deep sleep as well, because like I know that if I have a good deep sleep, then I feel like there is a, a probability to be more refreshed. Mm -hmm. Recently, I just got an Aura Ring, which is a device that also tells you yep. the REM sleep. So I'm starting looking at that. Then there is the readiness, which combines the heart rate variability, the pulse at wake up and your sleep data. So it tells you like, how ready are you for the day? And the aura ring is nice that it's also look at the activity for your days or the previous days to tell you, you need today to rest a little bit more. Or like, you're okay to do an intense workout. Your, your body is prepared for that. So I like that as, as well. Yeah. But again, I don't get stuck in the numbers. I look for trends. If some numbers are screwed, I go back to the day before and I was like, hmm, what did I do in the day before that might have affected my sleep? And in time, you will see patterns and you will see like, oh, uh, some stress at work influenced my sleep or I ate late or I ate this type of food. And so like last night we had dinner late and I was feeling my food in my stomach the entire night. Yeah. <laughs> So you will able to see this and then you will be able to control things because with sleep, there are some things that we can control and there are a lot of things that are not in our control. So, so with my coaching system, the second E, because it's the feed method, mm. the second E is all about elevating your environment, which means setting mm. up your space so that it, everything is functioning properly and you're getting the most benefit out of your living situation. As far as sleep is concerned, what plays the biggest role? Temperature and like lighting. Right. I know we're not supposed to look at screens after a certain amount right. of time. Stimulants like caffeine or things like alcohol and food and that kind Medicines of stuff. Medicines as well. Medicine okay. too? Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> In my sleep hygiene course, which I'm going to launch soon, I talk about sleep hygiene from two perspectives. One is the external environment, which is basically light, temperature, exactly what you are talking about, the environment that affects our sleep. And then the internal, which is like our behaviors, our core beliefs, our stress management and stuff like that. And I think the easiest things that we can handle and which are like very easy to implement are the external ones. It's like the internal one is a lot of work, right? <laughs> For sure. So like some easy to go methods to look at is like light and temperature. And why is that? So we do have a circadian rhythm and circadian 
It means circa and diem from Latin. So circa means approximately and diem is day. So our circadian rhythm is not 24 hours. It also depends on the individual. It's around 24 hours. So we rely on some external cues, which are called Zeitgebers. It is from German. Zeitgebers, Zeit means time. Geber means giver. So okay. it gives you cool. time, which actually helps your circadian rhythm to reset to the 24 hours. Light and temperature are the two major tight givers that reset our circadian rhythm. So what you're saying is that we don't all have the same 24 hours in absolutely, a day. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Because I hate that statement. No, and that's why we have chronotypes. That's another Whole discussion. other category. Yeah, it's like, are you a night owl or are you an early bird and stuff like that. A lot of people, they're saying, oh, where are your blue blockers? And... Everybody start wearing their blue blockers since morning till evening, which is not okay. Think about how the sun is. Like in the morning, we have a lot of bright light. The light spectrum is white, blue. So our body is has developed to get the blue light, bright light in the morning. And this is like the thing that tells our brain, hey, it's morning, it's day, wake up, shut down the melatonin hormone, start triggering all the other hormones that helps you to be be active during the day. And then the way the day progress, you need to get less and less exposed to light. Get bright light exposure in the morning, go outside and walk for 30 minutes, even if it's cloudy. The amount of photons you get in your eyes will be higher than even if you have all the lights turn on in your house. Okay, so, cool. So get outside. Get outside. And I know this is not possible for everybody, especially if you're living in a big city. Go bright light in the morning and by the time progress, then dim your lights. Yeah. And in the evening, turn off the ceiling lights and <laughs> use the floor lamps or desk lamps. The sun is on the sky, so our receptor for lights are designed in a way uh, to perceive the light from the that top. That makes so much sense. Right? So in the evening, sun is not on the sky. So no, even if we need yeah. light to do our stuff, because like we cannot turn off our light when the sun is down, so we exactly. still ha- need to have life, use the floor lamps or use like table lamps. Because the sun is the set, da- yes. so it's like at the same level. Right. That's so cool. I didn't even know. That would have never crossed my mind. Right. So if you like candles, turn on some candles. I Don't burn the house down. Also, because of the light spectrum, in the morning, try to get exposed to bright blue light. And in the evening, try to have it like more reddish color. Okay. I see, even in my neighborhood, I see people who switch their light to white light. And no. like, when do you use your light? In the evening. What type of light do you need in the evening? Yellow. Mm. And why do you have white light? And the <sighs> other problem with light is like, we are inside most of the day working on our computer. So our environment is dark. And then when the night comes, we turn on the lights. So it's exactly the so we're opposite. we're just confusing ourselves. What our body is supposed to do. What I'm also suggesting, turn all the lights in the morning, even if you're in, inside. If it's possible, especially in the northern location when in, during the winter when it's dark, have a light box. And you don't have to have a sophisticated light box. Mine is like $30 or something. Like I have nice. a small light box on my desk that I turn on. And if I start having headaches or like, because sometimes too much light exposure, especially so close can give you headaches, like I turn it off. There are a few tips about light. What about temperature? So there, there were some studies and they were looking at the tribes and they noticed that the tribes, they don't go to sleep when the sun sets, but they like one or two hours after the sunset. So they get sleepy later. And they realize that it's not necessarily connected to light, but the temperature, because like it takes a little bit of time to cool down after the sun sets. Yeah. So temperature is another indicator for our body to say, okay, it's dark now. Nowadays that we are living in an environment where our temperature is regulated, it's controlled, it's always like 70 degrees or 70. too cold because it's set for men, but okay. (laughs) Whole other battle. Oh my God. Like I always had fights with uh, my colleagues, uh, with my male colleagues at work about like temperature. Too cold. Our body temperature follows also a circadian rhythm. 
So oh. our temperature goes up in the morning. So yeah, you are active and then starts going down, 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 and it hits the lowest peak one or two hours before you wake up. In order to be able to fall asleep and to have like your body to be prepared for sleep, your core temperature, and it's very important to say core temperature, has to go down with one Fahrenheit, one degree Fahrenheit. If you notice like during the summer days when it's too hot, it's so hard to fall asleep. And that's that because like our body temperature does not go down. You can control your body temperature. And that's the, the nice thing. Beside the fact that you should, if you're able to set the thermostat on 68 or 66, depends how you prefer, which is, I think, 19 Celsius, around 20, between 19 and 20 Celsius. So I don't know where your audience is, but... Appreciate it. So reduce the temperature and a way to induce sleep, though it doesn't work for everybody, but for most of the people, having a hot shower. And I was like so intrigued about hot showers. Like, what? Okay, so how does that work? Exactly. It's like you're telling me that your body temperature has to go down, but you asked me to do a hot shower. Well, I told you core temperature. So when you're taking a hot shower, your blood is redirected to your extremities to able to shed the temperature. So it moves away from your core and that cools down your core. So even if you go into bed, like your core is cooler. cooler. So it's easier to fall asleep. That's though, so intriguing. That Though for some people, hot showers, like warm showers, they make them more alert. So again, yeah. it's experiment, yeah. experiment and see how it works. And sauna or like light movement, light exercise, like yoga or like stretching. That's also good for promoting sleep. What about caffeine? Oh, God. Because I know for me, I can't have caffeine after like 11.30. So again, here is the individuality. We do have a gene that secretes an enzyme that breaks down caffeine. So depends on how much that gene expresses itself. You can be a fast metabolizing of caffeine or a slow metabolizing the caffeine. But you don't need to do like a test, a genetic test like 23andMe and stuff to, to know it. Like you'd know it. If like you drink a coffee, you feel it. Yeah. I'm a slow metabolizing of caffeine. So I know that if I drink coffee after noon, my sleep would be affected. So that's one aspect. How fast do you process the caffeine? Then the tolerance, like how much? It's like alcohol. The more you drink, the more tolerant you are. But the interesting part is that the caffeine has a half-life and a quarter-life. So the half-life of caffeine, it's six hours. And the quarter-life, it's 12 hours. So that's where it gets me. If you drink a cup of coffee at 10 a.m., a quarter of that caffeine, it's still in your blood system at 10 p.m. Yeah. And how caffeine works is beside the stimulants effects, caffeine binds to the adenosine receptor. The adenosine is what creates the sleep drive. So you do have the adenosine in your body, but your body cannot Use get it. the sing- signal. It's yeah. like, I'm sleepy because like caffeine is there like a parasite, you know? Science. Oh, so cool. That's why you have the hit when the caffeine starts being processed. Like in your system, in your blood system, you have so much adenosine built up. And when the caffeine is processed, it's like, it goes into all the receptors and it's like, I'm falling asleep instantly. Anyway. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So like, then you crash after. Yes, that's yes. the coffee crash. And that's when people get another cup of coffee, which and is... And then it does the whole cycle the whole again. cycle. In the end, you'll be asleep because like your body needs to sleep and it will override everything. Sleep is so vital to your body that it will override a lot of things. And by the way, if you don't sleep for, I don't know how many days, you'll die. Yeah. Yeah. It's like... I mean, yeah. And you'll die faster than without food and without wow. water. So... So sleep. <laughs> sleep, yeah. What about alcohol? Well, alcohol is a big mistake that people think that alcohol helps them sleep. Alcohol is a sedative, so it will sedate your brain. It will not make your brain to fall asleep. So the scientists looked at the brain waves of people who sleep while they had alcohol and people who sleep without alcohol. 
And the brainwave patterns are so different. The brainwave pattern of people with alcohol when they sleep is almost the same as when you are awake. And then in the same time, your body works hard to process the alcohol in your body and to metabolize it because alcohol for your body, it's a poison, mm-hmm. right? So yep. in the process of metabolizing the alcohol, it creates a lot of aldehydes, which affects your deep sleep. So you cannot enter into deep sleep while you're drinking alcohol. Many times, even if you go to bed, you sleep for eight, nine hours, 10 hours, you wake up even more tired. It's because your brain was not able to clean itself and it was not able to go into that deep, restful sleep. So yes, while alcohol helps you fall asleep, it sedates your brain, but it doesn't help you. It's just making you worse. And there are other ways to make you fall asleep if you really have problem falling asleep. Yeah. You are not as fast and you have to work harder to build that. And that's why I think a lot of people grab the glass of wine in the evening instead of working on building the sleep hygiene. So It's a process, you know. People, people have trouble with like things that take more effort and more thought sometimes. Yeah. So food affects your sleep. I know for me, depending on what I eat, like if I go to a restaurant, it's gonna affect how I sleep. And if I have fried food, it's gonna affect how I sleep. Also the quantity, what time I eat it. If I'm having gluten, honestly, now that might just be that I have a gluten sensitivity maybe. But I notice those kinds of things affect, you know, whether or not I have a full night of sleep or if I end up waking up. Food type, it's important because it's how your body reacts. So for example, if you're eating something that your body's sensitive to, then when you have an allergic reaction, then you have a lot of adrenaline and like hormones, those chemicals in your body that makes you alert. It's danger, danger, danger. So your body is not prepared for sleep. And that works the same way with like inflammation too. Yeah. Like if you're if you're having say you had something that you're sensitive to and your body's right. inflamed, then you're having those same hormones pop right. up. Yeah. And then like if you're drinking coke or you're eating chocolate, sugar. which have sugar, which is also like gives you energy, is like they're not food promoting sleep. Like there is food that promotes sleep, like food rich in tryptophan, like white meat and like turkey. Food uh, coma. Uh, Thanksgiving food coma. They're like a chain reaction. So the tryptophan in food is the precursor of like the hormones that you need to promote sleep. Melatonin and uh, serotonin. The nutrients that you get from food helps you to create the substances you need to promote the sleep. sleep. And the other thing that I want to talk with you, it's about food timing. Okay. Because I was just reading this and I thought that it's amazing and i know from multiple sources you should not eat late in the evening but i didn't know why beside the obvious facts that like digestion your, your yeah. digestion as i was saying in the beginning core temperature is a big factor <gasps> oh, about yeah so right you need to decrease our core temperature to be able to promote sleep like with one degree fahrenheit but when you put the food in your stomach the body will redirect the blood into to your, your core yeah. to your stomach to digest, to break, and then to absorb the food. And that increases the core temperature. So instead of you preparing your body to sleep, you're interfering with that. Each organ in your body has a circadian rhythm, which is not the same. In the evening, like your liver is not designed to produce the substances you need for digestion. The pancreas is not designed to secrete insulin. So you're basically saying that if we eat later, then we're making our body focus on digestion rather than focusing sleep. on sleep and getting yes. the benefits of, of Yeah, that. and even if you fall asleep, the body needs so much energy for all these cleaning processes that it does during the sleep. So by redirecting that energy to digestion, we are getting that energy from the brain doing all the cleaning stuff, right? Okay, yeah. And it doesn't do that properly. Eat at least two hours before bed. Okay, and I got that down. Uh, two to three hours, if not four hours. Four, wow, okay. Depends how your body feels, but... Depends how much you eat. And depends how much you eat and what you eat, as yes. you were saying, like fast food or fast, like... Something fast digesting because, or not. Because like if you're eating some food that makes you crave more food, even if you're full, which is overriding your body signal saying like, I'm full, but I crave some more Doritos. It come back to awareness. Yes. 
Sometimes I miss my timing window when I have to eat food and then I have to go to bed and I'm starving. And I know that if I'm starving, I will not be able to fall asleep because my body is like, wake up, you need to find food, you're going to starve. So what do you do? So usually I have a very light snack. I'm looking for carbs that are slow carbs. I eat like half banana with some peanut butter. It's like something that doesn't require like a lot of digestion, but it provides me the carbs and the energy to shut down. Shut down no longer. Yeah. Yeah. If you need to have a late snack, be mindful with the snack that you are having. It's so fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. So what about napping? Okay. Napping (laughs) is a double-edged sword. Right. Napping is very good to nap. If you nap and your sleep drive is not affected or like if you can fall asleep in the evening without any problem, that's totally fine to nap. But if you're having problems falling asleep and then it depends a lot the time of the day when you're napping, because if you're napping just before you go to bed, that's not, that's not good because like yeah. when you're napping during the sleep, the adenosine, which I just told you that it creates the sleep drive, is being processed and then you don't have that sleep drive. I read somewhere that you really shouldn't nap after like 3 p.m. and you shouldn't really do naps longer than like 20 minutes. See, this is like, but like why, why, see, this is know. why I don't like like you should do this because if you nap at 3 p.m. and then you can fall asleep at 9 p.m. or 10 p.m., then it's totally fine, right? It's all subjective. Humans are built to be biphasic sleepers. And if you look at... uh, What does that mean? To get their eight hours of sleep in two batches. Oh, really? Okay. If you look at cultures like Italy or Spain, they do have a siesta at lunch of two hours. They close all their stores. So Mm -hmm. around noon and they do have lunch with their family. It's a culture like around love and family and relaxation. And then they open, they go back to work around 3 to 5 p.m. And they keep their stores open until 10 p.m. And they go to bed later. Yeah, when I was visiting, we didn't have dinner until like 10 p.m. Right, right. So they're a little bit different. That doesn't work for everybody. But one of the things that you said, like, you should do this and you should should do this. Get rid of shoulds. I debunked the idea of like you should or you should not. It depends on how you feel, especially if you're sleep deprived. So you have multiple nights when you lost your sleep and your sleep drive is so high that it's safe for you to nap without affecting your next sleep. So the duration is like we sleep in 90 minute cycles. The cycle of the sleep depends. It's a combination between non-REM and REM sleep. I guess the recommendation for the 20 minutes is like when you finish your deep sleep and then you start the REM part of sleep. It's still safe to wake up and you don't have the sleep inertia, meaning you're not groggy. That makes sense. Right. Okay. So it's enough for you to get a little bit of rest. So like a power nap. Yes. And in his book, Why We Sleep, Matthew Walker talks about naps and how to use nap to increase learning because during sleep, you create memories. So basically our working memory, what I like to compare is with how computer works because my background is in IT. So On your computer, you have a RAM memory, which basically it's used to store the working memory. And then you have a hard drive where you store all your data. Our brain is similar. When you experience something, when you learn something, that information is stored in the RAM, in the working memory. During our sleep, we move that information from the working memory to the long-term memory. There are two benefits of that. One, you free up your working memory so you can assimilate more, so you can wake up and continue with studying. And also you remember more of that information because it's stored in the long-term memory. So you can use NAP to improve your learning. That's so cool. I love that. So I won't say don't NAP or NAP depends what you want with naps and depends how your body in what state your body it is so basically like with everything else be an experimenter with your own life yeah and be aware be aware of your body (laughs) 
<laughs> it always comes down to awareness. I know. I'm sorry about not having like a fast like prescription. We are this. against quick fixes, you know. And there are things that you can quick fix. Like for example, with light, because we are talking about sleep hygiene. We've talked about having walks in the morning, but we haven't talked about how light affects your sleep during the night. I got blackout, blackout curtains. curtains. Yeah. But not everybody can put a blackout curtain or they can afford or like... Or you can do like an eye mask, right? Exactly. So you can do an eye mask or you can do... There are portable blackout curtains which have suctions. Um. So you can stick it on your window. Okay, cool. So that's another way to, to, to do that. I wanted to ask you about your personal nighttime routine. Do you have a system? I do. I do. And... I'm human. I'm not following it every single night with rigor. There are days when I work until 8, 9 p.m. and or even later and I know that I'm... Can I curse? Yeah. Okay. Swear all the want. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> and I'm yes. fucking up my sleep. So I... But I, I do have the awareness. My nighttime routine starts in the morning. Okay. Tell me about right? that. Right? I have a dog. I get my dog to walk. And that's the way I force myself to get outside time to get light exposure. I turn on all my lights in all the house in the morning. Like I make sure that I get a lot of light. And during the day, I'm trying to get as much light as possible. I'm living in Seattle, so it's very dark. You're trying. Yeah. um, Especially during the winter time. Then around 4 or 5 p.m. when I'm finishing my, hopefully finishing my work day, <laughs> I have dinner. I start dimming the light. Not all the light, but gradually I start dimming the light. My glasses have blue blockers filters. I'm trying my best to get less light exposure in the evening. And I'm preaching what I am doing as well. For sure. So I'm turning off the ceiling light. I'm using the floor what lights. Uh, what about, do you watch TV before you go to bed at all? Well, depends, but I try not to. And if I watch TV, I'm trying to watch something that does not arouse me. Thrillers or serious. I avoid watching serious during weekdays because I know that I cannot stop on one episode because like (laughs) yeah so if i especially if i start watching one or two episodes in the evening then i know that it will be 10 p.m i'm still watching so So i know in my household we will have dinner at like 6 p.m and sit down and start watching tv and we probably watch tv until about nine o'clock is that bad (laughs) well it depends what time do you go to bed nine o'clock okay So try to turn off, that's what I'm trying to do, trying to turn off the devices one, at least one hour. One hour. Prior to bed. Try to have a buffer between your day and your awake activities to gradually go into your sleep mode. Transition into that, yeah. And go to bed when you're sleepy. Don't go to bed when you're wide awake, hoping that you will get your eight hours of sleep and try to avoid being in your bed if you're not sleepy. Because your mind is like Pavlov's dog. Yeah. If sure. your mind associates being in bed with being awake or being stressed of not being able to sleep, then, then you will re- stay away. Yeah. yeah. So try to use your bed and your bedroom. I highly encourage not to have a TV in your bedroom. Try to use your bed only for the two things that it's supposed to be, which is sleep and sex. Woohoo! Uh, and uh, associate the bed with that. What I also recommend and what I also do now, I do some physical therapy exercises and I try to do the more intense one in the morning and the stretching one in the evening because that like cools me down and I listen to a book or a podcast. So uh, like some nice calming yeah, movements. Yeah, so you can do like you can do stretching or you can do yoga or you can read or listen to some music. Like try to transition from your awake state to your bed state. So reading is okay. Yeah, but it's not something that arouses you. For example, like I was reading a book one evening and it affected me so much. It was like a self-help book and I had an aha moment. And I woke up at 4 a.m. and the first thought was like the last idea I read from the book. So Not something that will stress you out. Again, again, depends. Like something that relaxes you, right? So that's my bedtime routine. And if I have a stressful day, in which there are many stressful days, 
I do the following things. First, I try to use some herbal teas that are designed for helping you to sleep, sleep like yeah. chamomile, nice. lavender, valerian. I also use chill from Four Sigmatic, which has reishi. reishi oh, I love Four Sigmatic. Yeah, I also use ashwagandha in stressful days. That's why I say awareness is so important because you cannot prevent life from happening. But if it's happened, know how it will affect you so that you can start taking action before you go to bed, right? Absolutely. I love that. So I pee very often. High five. <laughs> uh, and I have to be very careful when I drink my calming tea because like if I drink it just before going to bed, I will be awake like in a few hours to go to the bathroom and then I will not be able to fall asleep. So I drink my tea at around 8 p.m. And if I go to bed at 10 p.m., I have enough time to go a few times to the bathroom. That's smart. The other thing that I do and helps me a lot is having hot showers or hot bath with Epsom salt, which has magnesium and your skin absorbs the magnesium and with some lavender. Helps you relax. What I love the most is like turning off the lights and turning on some candles. And I put like an audiobook, which mostly is fantasy book. Hey, I'm a fantasy girl too. I grew up with all the fantasy books. And helps me move my mind, like refocus my mind from the stress. Turn off work. To refocus it. Another thing that I do, because like I told you, my problem is waking up in the middle of the night. And most of the time is because of stress and rumination. So I wake up and then boom, my mind is racing. So I have a lot of ideas. And many times, like I'm very creative. So what I started doing recently, and I noticed that it works, is journaling. Like go out of bed. If it's possible to have like a notebook, write it down, everything. Offload those ideas from your mind. You put it on paper. This allows your mind to relax. Absolutely. I mean, everybody knows that I get up early and journal. Journal, so right. I am that journal queen. So I noticed on your Instagram that you talked about revenge bedtime procrastination. What is that? Yeah. I got to this term while I was studying for my sleep stress management and recovery certification. When I was reading about it, I had an aha moment. It was like, oh my God, I'm doing that. And I didn't know that has a name. The revenge bedtime procrastination refers to the decision to delay sleep mostly in response to stress or the lack of free times that you have early in the day. So basically, you're in the evening and you're tired. You know that you have to go to bed. You know that if you don't go to bed, you are being affected the next day, but you're still deciding to stay awake and do stuff. The revenge part of the term was introduced in China in late 2010, mostly because of the work schedule that they have, which is even worse than here, is like 996. That means from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a week. Can you imagine that? It's like, no wonder they don't have any time to do any of their activities. Of course, the problems of revenge by time procrastination is sleep deprivation. It's like when I was working in food service and I would get off at like one o'clock in the morning and then I would go do things. Like I went to a gym that was a 24 hour gym and instead of going to sleep, I would go work out and then I might go home and eat for like an hour, watch TV for a little bit. And by the time I went to bed, it was like 4 a.m. Yeah, because you don't have time to do the stuff for you, right? What's the easiest thing to carve out from your schedule to do your stuff? Sleep. Sleep. Which, in your case, I think it's harder because, like, what can you do? It's your shift work. I mean, I quit, so. Yeah, but, like, there are people who have, like, a 9-to-5 job, but they also have kids. They also have family. They also have a two-hour commute. They also have a two-hour commute, and they don't have time for themselves. I also define the types of revenge bedtime procrastination. So there are like the deliberate procrastination, which is the result from the person believing that they deserve more time for themselves. Then you have the mindless procrastination where you lose time, you start doing the stuff and you figure out, oh, it's 1 a.m. 
when it's been three hours yeah, and I yeah, literally yeah. haven't done anything. But yeah, somehow. because you don't have time to do during the day. You start doing it in the evening. You're so caught up and it's like, fuck. Yep. <laughs> and then there is a strategic delay where people, they are forcing themselves to stay up late because they're thinking they want to fall asleep faster. I think this is a good strategy to some point, but sometimes it can backfire. Ba- backfire. Yeah. For preventing bedtime procrastination, depending on how you're doing it, like I do have some advices like how to prevent it. Okay, so let's look at why you're doing it. You don't have time for yourself. So is it possible to schedule in your calendar a few minutes of me time to take care of yourself and reframe the way you're looking at things, especially for moms? They put their family first, they put the kids first. And then if I have time, I go to the spa or I go to the gym. Think of it as what you are instructed when you are in an airplane. Put your oxygen mask first. Take care of yourself first so that you can help the others. So if you have a good sleep, if you have a good health, if you have good energy, then you'll be more present with your kids. You will not be grumpy all the time. You'll be a good company to be around. You will have more energy to play with your kids. By prioritizing your health and your sleep allows you to be more present for the things that you precious the most and for the things that you're sacrificing yourself. So I think a lot of that comes down to like learning how to delegate and learning how to ask or help from other people or just your spouse or your partner or like even your kids. Hey, can you help me cook this meal? You know? Absolutely. When you say yes to someone, you say no to yourself. Have boundaries. Yes. Set clear boundaries. It's very difficult skill to build. It's hard because we are people pleasers. Telling the people around you about boundaries and discussing about them is like very important. But boundaries you can have at home with your family, but also at work. My audience is mostly like people who have a desk job or who have a job. Most of the problems are because they are overwhelmed from work. And having boundaries at work, it's something that is not very common, especially here in the US. We are afraid to say no. We need to learn to advocate for ourselves and not be afraid that we'll be fired or that we'll be demoted. I know for me, like a lot of times working in a kitchen, you know, I'd be asked to do certain things and like work overtime or come in early and it was just expected. You're going to do that because if you don't, we'll fire you because we can find somebody else. That creates this fear of not having job security. There are situations where you cannot say no right? Because like, as you're saying, you can be fired and you will be fired. Okay. But then is the other things like, can you delegate? Mm-hmm. Because like a lot of people are a perfectionist. Guilty. <laughs> Nobody can do this work as good well, as I am. So yeah, but do you have time to do this and this and this and this? Like, is it better for somebody else to do it? In theory, I don't really have time to clean my house. I can yeah. pay someone to do it. It would save me so much time and energy. It's like Jill, which is our business coach, she's saying, if I am doing all the work, then I don't have time to do the creative work, which I'm good at because like I suck at organizing. But if I'm able to delegate it to hire someone to do that for me, that allows me more time to be more creative and do the work that brings the money. So then I'm making back that money that I'm using. Yeah, and even more, right? So like try to delegate, be efficient with your work and For example, in people who have a lot of meetings, like in my case, I have a lot of meetings and am I needed in that meeting? Am I getting anything from that meeting? Will I be able to get that information in a different format? If the answer is no, then don't attend that meeting, right? Yeah. Be productive at work. That's another pillar of my coaching is like, how can you be more productive in the nine to five so that you don't have to work extra hours to be able to do your work so that the extra hours that you would normally work, you can use for yourself to free. It and you yourself. can use that time to begin yeah. shutting down so that you can start you know, preparing for yeah. sleep and, yeah. and yeah. get better sleep that exactly. way. Exactly. Yeah. So I know it's easier said than done, It's not something I tell you do this. Again, no quick fixes. Right, right. And you have to learn whatever works for you. In terms of feeling that you don't have control or you don't have time for yourself, what I also suggest is be present in the moment. We are always on the go, right? This is a mindset thing. So 
What makes you pleasure? Do you love coffee? Yes. Love coffee. You love your coffee, love right? Coffee. So take one minute, five minutes in the morning when you drink your coffee. Take a sip. Taste it. Feel the taste. Then feel the kick if it gives you a kick of energy. Enjoy that moment. Savor it. Savor yeah. it. Like, don't just grab the coffee and be on the go. That's something that brings you pleasure you're feeling that you're doing something for yourself and engaging all your senses smell, smell taste of it it's yeah. like make you more connected to that moment so it's like yeah you don't have time to schedule half an hour an hour for like a yoga but like when you're doing something can you be fully present in the moment to enjoy it and feel like yeah i'm doing something for myself and then just taking those moments throughout the day building yeah. on that yeah yeah one other thing that you mentioned was social jet lag. Tell me about that. Oh, that's an interesting stuff. And it's like, we're guilty of doing that. So many people, they have a good sleep hygiene during the week because you have your work schedule and it's like nine to five. And then like you go to bed at 10, like you're very good at following that sleep routine. routine. Yeah. But then there is weekend and you want to meet with the friends and then like, you go out, you eat dinner like at 10 p.m., you go to bed like at 1 a.m. It's like a few hours different than your regular schedule. And what is jet lag? It's basically exactly shifting your schedule with few hours, depending how far you travel, comparing with your normal schedule. So you're basically a shift worker in weekends. And you screw up okay. your body. You're confusing your body. And especially if you're doing that every weekend. I'm not saying not to meet your friends in the weekend and not socialize. But can you talk with your friends to meet a little bit early? It's like, yeah, let's meet at 6 p.m. or like 4 p.m. instead of 8 p.m. So what you're saying is that my life as a raver isn't <laughs> really beneficial to my health. <laughs> well, it depends how often do you do it. Do you do it like... Every week, once a month, once in three months, or do we do it frequently? Yeah. I mean, I used to go clubbing like every other weekend, but you know, the older I get, the harder it is. Right. And I, on a regular day, I go to bed at like nine. And then on the weekend, the main act doesn't come on till like midnight, after midnight. So then you end up staying right. up until probably three or four. And you spend the entire next day trying to make up for it. But, but yeah, it's basically like, think about it. You're taking the airplane and you're uh, traveling from the West Coast to the East Coast, from Seattle to New weekend. York. Every weekend. How do you feel when you go to New York or the other Pretty way? shitty. Pretty shitty. Is that what you're doing to your body? And this is called social Basically jet taking a red eye. Yeah. Okay. And that affects your hunger, your workout. Not saying not to do that, but... Or like pick, you know, I'm going to go this weekend and this is my once a month kind right. of late night kind yeah. of thing. With the pandemic, I realized that my social life and to have connection with face to face with people, it's so vital for my mental health that at some point I'm willing to sacrifice one to few nights of sleep for that. Same. So it's like, what's your number one priority? at the moment and then yeah I mean, it's like what do you want to get out of yeah, your life take a conscious decision yeah so we have covered a lot of lot of ground i just wanted to thank you so much for sharing all of your wonderful information where can people find you yeah if you like what i've shared with you and if you want to find out more you can find me at irina underscore makare on instagram and i hope you will put that in i will link that in the show notes because we do that yeah. and i also have a newsletter that i send to my subscribers every two or three weeks where i go a little bit deeper and also like my followers are going to be the first ones who are going to find out of my new product if i'm releasing anything exciting so i like to ask well i mean you're my first guest so obviously i can't like to ask people this because i've never done it but now i'm gonna ask you you know my method is called the feed method yeah. and it is an acronym but it also represents feeding your mind body and soul and because this is feed your health what are the top three things you're doing right now to feed your health 
<sighs> it's hard to pick three, you know. I think the most important is self-care. I prioritize my health first. And when I'm saying health, it's not only physical, it's mental health. So oh, yeah. especially at this point in time when I, we are talking and recording this is my number one priority is my mental health. If my mind is not okay, then my body will follow that. Yeah. Especially with the state of the world. I yeah. Mean, putting your, your mental status first and yeah. making that a priority so that you're okay and that you can wake up every day and feel good about life. So I'm prioritizing rest and recovery. I do have days when I work very intensively because I have the energy and the focus, but then I make sure that I take the rest I need to replenish my body and my mind. Woohoo. Good job. Stress level and sleep, of course. This is like always... And then right now is social interactions. Yay! It's like pandemic changed the way people think, interact, and helped me realize that the social interaction, being close to friends, face-to-face interaction, not only on Zoom and online, it's a vital piece in my health and mental health. So valuable. In my feed method, the second E is elevating your environment. It's about support, creating a system of support yeah, for a community yeah. and a support. Yeah. And building on that community. You're not doing it alone. You have other people to bounce ideas off of and just vibe with their energy, honestly. And we are social creatures. Well, thank you so much for inviting and for having the honor of being your first guest. Yay! It's like such a big honor. And so I had so much. much fun talking with this and I hope we can do it again. I know. We still have so many things we should talk about. This has been great. I hope you guys enjoyed listening and I'm going to sign off now and see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.